0: Greetings, and welcome aboard the Diecast Enterprise. This is Pags. I'm Fully. And tonight we will be reviewing... The Arsenal of Freedoms. Episode 20, season 1. I've always liked this episode. Yeah, I remember cool. seeing it the very first, when it first aired and being very taken with it. Uh, I even remember mm-hmm. using, do you remember how pantyhose used to come in eggs? Of course. You're, you're yeah. talking about legs, legs, eggs. Legs?
1: Yeah. Hellipostrophe?
0: B- exactly. G-A-A. I can distinctly remember building this weapon, the main uh, baddie in this episode, out of a legs egg. Papa Echo 607? Echo yeah. That's the, the drone? Wrong. You built it out of a legs carton yeah legs egg it's kind of cool yeah yeah it wasn't very impressive as far as prop replicas go Hmm. i'm better now no if you say so so yeah the arsenal of freedom there's a lot going on in this episode we get a saucer separation. Yeah, Geordi LaForge in command. Yeah, which is great. There's an attempt at beefing up the romance angle between uh, Picard and... Dr. Bev Crusher. Correct. However, uh, that was nipped in the bud by uh, Roddenberry himself, who wasn't on board with that idea. But we'll get to that when we get to that.
1: Action abounds. There's a fighting on the planet of the surface. There's mm-hmm. a space battle. A it's,
0: chase. This episode is chocked full of Star Trek-y goodness. Mm-hmm. So let's get started. The episode opens with the Enterprise on its way to Minos to uh, investigate the disappearance of the Drake, which uh, was commanded by a Academy alum of Riker, classmate of Riker, yeah, 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 Captain U.S. Captain U.S.S. Captain Paul Rice. Yes, yes. And Riker lets us know that, in classic Star Trek tradition, this guy is confident to the point of arrogance, but he carries it well because he's usually right. He basically describes this guy to be Captain Kirk.
1: I assume, like. Starfleet Academy at this point just churns out Captain Kirk types
0: yeah douche bros yeah really we, we arrive at Minos and we get immediately a uh, recorded announcement Magrathia style from uh, one Vincent Chiavelli yeah who's it's always nice to see him show up in things um, he's quite a few different roles on Trek he's got a very distinct face you always know when you're looking at Vincent Chiavelli mm-hmm. and I think my personal favorite role for him has to be The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension mm-hmm. great great movie and uh, he is in that I don't like that movie that's because there's something wrong with you. The away team's going to beam down to try to find out what's going on. Tasha Yar decides to keep the away team small and mobile until she is confident that whatever killed everyone on this planet isn't still there. Oh, yeah, that's the great mystery here, is that all of the intelligent lifeforms on the planet have disappeared somehow. Along with the drake, yeah. Yeah, and apparently all the cities as well. Yeah, it it seems to just be a planet in ruins. Yeah, it just seems to be a jungle planet, and the Enterprise, you know, when they're doing their sensor sweeps and whatnot, they make no mention of any cities or anything. You know, they, they do mention no uh, no intelligent life forms on the planet, but they neglect to say, oh, I'm reading cities, you know, empty cities or anything, as they often do in these kind of situations. Like, in- Are we supposed to think that the Drake was
1: investigating the disappearance of the population of the planet? Or yeah. had, the, had the population disappeared a long time ago? No,
0: no, the Drake was investigating the disappearance. Like the recent disappearance. We don't know if it was recent, but Okay. the last time Starfleet had checked in on Minos, it was still there. It sure looked like the jungle had like grown over whatever mm-hmm. civilization had been there. I think it would be reasonable to deduce that, uh, at the very least... like This is probably another one of a gazillion planets that Starfleet has had brief contact with ages ago and is right. only now just catching up with. I could imagine that this planet hadn't been visited since pre-Kirk. Oh, it is a while, and so maybe a hundred years has passed. And hey, uh, we've recently uh, discovered that uh, we're not uh, detecting any signals anymore. It appears that all the uh, life forms on the planet have disappeared. Hmm. We should uh, we should check that out. That uh, that seems worthy of investigation. So, uh, yeah, the away team. Beams down to the surface. Um, and are pretty much immediately greeted by a fake Commander Rice. Commander Rice. Or Captain Rice, it's I Captain guess. Captain Rice. Didn't did they get attacked first? or? Mm-hmm. Is, no, okay. No, he's the uh, the first iteration of the machine, you see. It's creating a holographic rice to pump Riker for information. Mm-hmm. He, um, Riker smells a rat, though. Tells yeah, him. Yeah. You know, when his friend like from
1: the Academy, basically all he wants to talk about are the defensive and weaponry capabilities of his ship. Yeah, yeah. So Riker tells them they're, you know, traveling on the USS Lollipop, I believe. Yeah, yeah, says. it's a good ship. It's a good ship.
0: Hilarious. Yeah, oh, Riker. It's good to know that Riker is uh, up to date with his uh, Shirley Temple vehicles. Oh, that's what he watches, anyway. He's not, when, he's watching when he's not watching the Spice Channel, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. All, all harpists specials. He likes mid-20th century musicals. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, this machine is interesting, and over the course of the episode, it's discovered that every time they defeat it, that information is analyzed by the main computer, and it creates a better weapon that can't be defeated in the same way again. Mm -hmm. And reasonably sure that this is probably the inspiration for the Borg later on, as far as their ability to adapt I would think so. I mean, this was a... It makes sense. Yeah, it's a cool idea. It is, and it plays very well in the episode, and certainly afterwards they were probably like, wow, you know, that was really tense and really exciting when this uh, weapon kept upgrading itself to the point where they couldn't defeat it. Mm -hmm. What if we gave that to a species instead of just a one-off weapon? And so they did. And so they did. But before they did that, we got this... Riker gets caught in a stasis bubble when uh, the machine is discovered. Yep. And Card and Crusher beam down to the surface against the better judgment of Deanna Troy. She takes exception to that, and Riker's just like, no. I don't even know why they did that. You know, He's trapped in the bubble, but like
1: it's data that gets him out. I don't really know what Picard and Crusher were going to contribute to the situation that they couldn't do from the
0: ship. I have no idea. It's unclear. They also couldn't beam Riker back up to the ship for some mm-hmm. reason. but Because of the field that he was in was uh, preventing guess. a transporter lock. But so
1: Picard and Crusher, basically, all they succeed in doing is...
0: Falling, falling down falling a pit. A pit, yeah. And getting Crusher grievously injured. Yep. Breaks her arm. Probably breaks her leg. Yeah. Picard gives her a tourniquet and stuff sets up a splint they talk for a bit mm-hmm. she starts to pass out so
1: he has to keep her awake yeah it's and she says to maintain she's consciousness. like I must
0: have lost a lot of blood and Picard's like what I tied off that." I tourniquet you real good and she's like no no there's another wound by my leg it's like uh, well gosh doctor why didn't you mention that earlier when you were more lucid now you're getting delirious and only now do you think to mention that oh yeah by the way well I'm losing blood from my leg you gotta cover some slack she felt like 40 feet. Yeah, it was a it was a long fall. 11 meters. Mm-hmm. But oh. still, it seems to me that as a doctor she should have made mention of that. But whatever. She didn't, so now she's at death's door. And we get some bonding between her and Picard. Apparently she was part of some doomed colony. Her grandmother. Was, yeah, yeah, her and her grandmother. Yes, and yes. it was all very tragic but we don't really learn the details of it. Get a little background. Mm-hmm. A little bit of background. But then, before we can get deeper into things and get some real bonding time between Picard... And And Crusher, here comes Vincent Shevelli to uh, sell us this weapon system.
1: Right, yeah, Picard and he's looking around for a way out of the uh, the pit that they're in and yeah. it inadvertently reactivates the sales mechanism. Yeah, the, and uh, like discovers that, oh, we're
0: sh- not in a cave after all. This is apparently a showroom. A control showroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is quite odd. Once that's revealed, it kind of becomes obvious and you're like, well, why did they not notice this before? There,
1: all, the, all those vines had grown yeah, over yeah. everything. There's dust so. everywhere.
0: Yeah, uh, Picard had to wipe that screen off like four times. That was some really poor editing. We showed him do the same wipe off like three yeah. times. They're, they're covered in dirt down there like... Like especially Crusher somehow upon falling has also managed to get herself buried in this dirt uh, which looks basically like kitty litter and according to the Memory Alpha wiki was infested with fleas. It yeah, more or less was kitty litter. Yeah, gross. There were bugs a lot.
1: There were a lot of bugs down there in that scene, in that scene which would have been uh, really disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Acting, it's not all glamorous. It seemed like a really poor choice then to go for the method technique of like you know actually, actually. grievously wounding Gates McFadden. Yeah, yeah. She they should have asked for videos. just makeup. Yeah,
0: no, no, she's like, no, no, like, take most of the skin. You gotta admire that kind of dedication <laughs> to the craft, rub that sand right in there, and those flea eggs get <laughs> yeah, yeah, it in there, get, get it in, get in. Yeah, nice, it's good for her. Uh, really. So, meanwhile, on the surface, the away team are looking for uh Picard and trying to uh free Riker while being and, hunted by yeah. another
1: one of these friggin' flying legs.
0: Yeah, shoot, things. and up in orbit. Now the Enterprise is under attack. Oh man! And when we first see the attack, like we see a phaser blast coming from nowhere, like the image is such that whatever is shooting at them is too small to be seen or cloaked. Maybe I'm not sure. It's not clear, but the thing is, it's it's not they can't perceive it. Um, yeah, they can't beam up the away team because they're under attack. Their shields are up. Mm-hmm. So Jordy's in charge, and up comes yet another chief engineer, or was it just an engineer? I, I he, can't imagine why just a. Well, he was random a, He was a, he
1: was a full lieutenant compared to Jordy's <coughs> junior lieutenant. It's true, but uh, like Picard was the one that like said, to Jordy, you're in charge." Like you know, I know Worf yeah. is the same rank as you, but Worf's a lunatic, so we're yeah. not leaving him in charge. Can't put Worf in charge. He's the Enterprise. He's barely housebroken. Yeah,
0: Worf would have killed them all trying to destroy that thing. Yeah, let's be let's be honest. This would have been the glorious death that Worf has been longing for since Episode One.
1: I mean, that would have been rad. I kind of would have liked to see that, but sat, the cooler heads
0: prevailed, and Geordi was left in charge. So <laughs> I, I rather think that everyone on the Enterprise would be more comfortable with just about anyone in charge besides Worf. Like Season One, Worf in particular. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I think everyone on board it just lives in dread. Of the possibility of enough of the command crew becoming incapacitated, that Worf winds up in charge. Worf would not have to murder that many people to take oh, over no. the ship. It's only like five people, but he yeah. would have
1: to kill Data. That might be hard. It's a really good thing. There's a super strong, almost unkillable android higher in the food chain, the command chain than <laughs> Worf. Mm-hmm. So the only thing keeping everybody safe.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this engineer comes to the bridge and oh, is yeah. all snotty and shit, and he wants he wants uh he's like, well, "Why I not, command. yeah I should have been in charge. I outrank and, you." The best part about him is that the whole, like his first visit to the bridge, the whole time he's there, all he's just he's just on and on about how they gotta leave, how they gotta get out of here. You know, you know, Jordy's got a responsibility to the ship. To the thousand
1: lives. Yeah, he's got to
0: relinquish command. They've got to get out of here. They can't take this beating anymore. Blah 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 blah. And Jordy's just like, "Fuck off, man! I'm in charge." Yeah, really. You know, Uh, do your to look after, dude? Apparently not. But uh, Jordy finally gets this bully off the bridge Mm -hmm. Uh, but things don't go terribly well and in short order Jordy has to call him back to the bridge and upon his arrival Jordy gets the Enterprise the hell out of Dodge Mm -hmm. and at this point suddenly he's like you're just gonna leave them there on the planet in total contrast To mere minutes before when he's like, we've got to get out of here. We have to leave them on the planet. This guy sucks. (laughs) He's really dumb. And I kind of wonder about who wrote this episode. Because were they not paying attention to the scene they had written earlier? Because this guy is... Super contradictory. Uh, we're supposed to hate his guts, like yeah, yeah. You know, he, he doesn't need a lot of
1: screen time. You got to establish really quickly that this guy's a dink, mm-hmm. and you got to take Jordy's side.
0: So, well, of course, and we're gonna take Jordy's side. I mean, well, if this guy had been reasonable and level-headed about things, maybe maybe we wouldn't have been so inclined. Yeah, but uh, Jordy. There are puts those of us e- that still would have preferred the wharf option. That's true. Whatever. Jordy puts our boy—I don't even remember his name anymore. I, f- I forget his name. Too. Jordy puts engineer boy in charge. Of the saucer section. Oh, it's such a sweet diss. Yeah, it's great, like, because he's all, like, smug for a second, and then boom, kick to the ball. Yes, yeah, boom. The um, saucer section. Yeah.
1: Fly the saucer section at to Starbase. I have to, to star fly base.
0: the USS Daycare out of here. Yep, yep. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes. And you then do. Jordy takes the battle section back to the planet mm-hmm. after getting a little pep talk from Counselor Troy. Counselor Troy? Yeah. Who doesn't come along. She, oh yeah, that's why she, she, she doesn't. She stays on the USS Daycare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "Great work, buddy! You're doing the right thing. You're so brave." Okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> see
0: you later. <laughs> I'm going to Starbase. Mm-hmm. I totally missed out on that. Hilarious. Yeah, so back at the planet, the away team has found where Picard and Crusher are. Data jumps down there because he's got super amazing android power, so he can make an 11-meter jump no problem, apparently. Mm-hmm. And after much uh, discussion, they kind of finally figure out that they can end this whole scenario if they just buy the fucking weapon. Yeah, they're like, yeah, that was a great demonstration. Please. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll purchase it. we can stop the, the demo now. The and and Vince is just like, no, why would I end the ad demo? You haven't seen everything it can do yet. Yes, you haven't seen it fully kill everybody. Yeah, and they're like, no, 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 we've seen enough. Then I've made a sale? Yes, you betcha. <laughs> yeah.
1: I like how purchase details did not have to be higher. Yeah, now. yeah. They just sort of... and
0: I like how it shut down the one on the planet, but for some reason that did not affect the one... The one in orbit, busily killing the drive section of yeah, the universe. Yeah, yeah. That made no sense at all. No, it really didn't. It was, uh, But it did
1: allow for the sweet, tense scene of the oh, yeah. Enterprise, the drive section, flying into the
0: lower atmosphere. You get to see it like burning up in the atmosphere, basically. Yeah. Oh, man, but, will the flip.
1: deflectors hold long yeah, enough?
0: Yeah, just barely. But then, finally, Geordi's Gambit pays off, And the attacker becomes visible in the turbulence in the atmosphere as well. Like, we get to... And once we can see it. And it's way bigger than we were expecting. Like I I thought it would be little, yeah. Yeah, I think both of us were thinking it was the same size as the one down on the planet. And I guess that's kind of stupid. It has to be a bit bigger, I suppose. Yeah, because, I mean, this thing is attacking the Enterprise. It can't be slightly larger than a hand phaser if it's going to deal the kind of uh, power that it needs to. to, uh, Sure, know, Like, because the one on the planet is... maybe the size of a large like a large gum boot. Yeah, yeah. You know, and. Uh, but the one in orbit
1: is like. Much, yeah, the one it in appears orbit to be like
0: significantly larger than like a shuttlecraft. Yeah, yeah, it, much it's, larger. It's pretty big. It's not insignificant compared to the Enterprise. So one has to wonder, like, did the planet replicate that thing and then send it out on its way? Uh, yes. It built and, it in some mini factory. And apparently, like, it can fire while cloaked. So, I mean, I guess it's got. They've got. Minos had better cloaking technology than the Klingons and the Romulans. Well, Yar has a throwaway line right at the start, basically saying that the weapon technology and the first thing they see is clearly is superior to that the that the, interpro- that the uh, Federation mm-hmm. possesses. So
1: yeah. So maybe yeah, maybe they yeah. had a
0: The Arsenal of Freedom was fully stocked. They finally destroy that thing, they beam the captain up and Jardy tries to give back command but Cards like, listen, buddy, when I left the ship, it was in one piece. You'd best return it to me in the same condition. Yeah. And Jordy's all smiles. Say, oh yeah. Yeah, he get, he gets to command the ship a little bit longer. And the two young ensigns that just look up to Jordy, mm-hmm. they couldn't be more pleased. Hugs all around, and that's the end of the episode. The only thing that would have made it better is that then Jordy, instead of like telling him to fly the ship away
1: from the planet, had instead just opened communication channels and told ensign bill hole to fly the, (laughs) the fucking drive section back yeah yeah we'll just hang out in orbit when you get here in a week we'll see you
0: then yeah absolutely so, yeah, this episode, I mean, it's pretty simple, but it's good stuff. And we, we get our second-to-last saucer separation of the series. Oh, such
1: a downer to think I about know, that. I
0: right? I mean, was this the second saucer separation of the season or the third? Firepoint for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's one other one, and then this one, yeah. Yeah, so this sure. is... The third one. This is the third of the four saucer separations we get next-gen. Yeah. Man, what a bummer. And we were talking about this when we were watching the saucer separation separation if you're looking at the underside of the saucer section like where they joins up to the uh, enterprise mm-hmm. I wasn't noticing any connector points for turbo lifts
1: I think uh, yeah you're right I'm sure they're not there on the model but the mm-hmm. idea is just supposed to be that the, the tubes with the turbo mm-hmm. lifts we go through are just so small that once there's the, the,
0: the seals are in place yeah you just you can't just can't see them I, it's got to be that because yeah.
1: there has to be more than one turbo lift between yeah. the drive only, section and the saucer only section one of the ship
0: section, like there's only one spot on the underside of this thing that looks like it might even be yeah. a turbo lift connector. So it just seem, I was just like, there can't be just one turbo no, lift no, no. shaft going to the saucer section. That's not possible. Just use your imagination, bro. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I kept noticing throughout the episode, which I thought was very funny, is that when Geordie's in command, he sure likes to touch Ensign uh shoulder a lot. I only noticed him doing it one time. He does it throughout the episode. Like every yeah. time he walks up behind her, like, hand on shoulder, hand on shoulder, hand on shoulder, you know? And. He's, he's, look, he's, she's got a nice shoulder he's a, he's a lonely guy probably <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wonder if like instance is gonna file a complaint with Starfleet HR would that go to Troy or would it go to somebody else I don't. yeah we were discussing that before yeah, I, yeah. I, I had mentioned that I kind of think of Troy as Basically, being the de facto HR on the ship, so, so basically you know, like those kind of uh, those kind of complaints would go through Troy. Well, like, what are your alternatives?
1: Like, you could go. I mean, for now, I guess you could go to Tasha, but later on, it's like you can either go to Wharf about this, or you mm-hmm. can go to Troy about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Uh... I don't know, I just like Lieutenant, Lieutenant LaForge is a little handsy. He might be a little handsy. We don't know. Don't what goes know. we
1: don't what goes on down in engineering in later seasons. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah.
0: There's a lot I'll tell you there's a lot of female engineers down there. There are. There are uh, we see the redhead down there quite often. Well, yeah. Good work, Jordy. Yeah, good on you, Jordy. We thought we saw the redhead in this episode. False but alarm. Yeah, false alarm. It was not the redhead. It was other redhead, I guess. I think she had the week off, much like Wesley Crusher. Yeah, yeah. Wesley wasn't in this episode, thank goodness. Thank goodness. What are you talking about? <laughs> Listen, man, you've got to pick a side here. You know, <laughs> no, not you, you can't <laughs> just be pro-Wesley whenever I'm pro Anti Wesley, no. <laughs> only to switch to be anti Wesley when I'm pro Wesley. It's not about being pro or anti Wesley, it's about wanting him to be there so I can hate on him.
1: <laughs> if he's not there, then I miss him.
0: Mm. Oh. <laughs> Get it? I, I see. I see. I thought you were just being, you know, contrary. No, uh, no, to just to fuck with me. No, not not I, this time. I, I just assumed that your, you know, your main mission here was to piss me off. Well, it is, but in this case, <laughs> but in, this, in one, this case, I've got a I've got a rationale. I see. I understand. No. Well done.
1: Wouldn't this episode have been better with Wesley? He could have been down there on that planet, a shot in the back by the oh, by that rope thing. No, like he should have been on burns. the bridge
0: and he should have gotten angry and defended Jordy against, oh, yeah. uh, against that against uh, that bully from engineering. That's true. You know, Lieutenant LaForge is a great commander you don't even know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you don't even know. You don't
1: even. Would would you think he would have gone on the battle bridge, or they would have left him in the saucer section? He would have stayed on the USS Daycare. oh I think he would have. They would have told him to. Yeah. Well, hidden away. He's only
0: an acting ensign, right? I don't think he would be. uh, You don't think he'd hide away? That's too defiant. He wouldn't do that. Yeah. 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 I kind of feel like you know his rank wouldn't allow him to be on the battle bridge. Probably not. Although in in next season or possibly I can't remember if it's season two or season three. Yeah. uh, The episode where uh, well, since we don't have any more freaking saucer separations, we're never going to see him on the battle bridge. I know. I know. But we do see him on the set of the Battle Bridge in that episode where... Remember the War Game episode Uh, where Riker's commanding, like, an old beat-up ship? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And they always use the Battle Bridge set for the bridge of any other ship. Always. So... The bridge of that ship is the Battle Bridge, and Wesley is part of the crew that Riker chooses. Yes. So we get to see Wesley on the Battle Bridge there.
1: All right, okay. Uh, yeah, But he's not actually on a separated mm-hmm. Enterprise star drive, which is a shame. It's
0: true. I'd like to see how you're acting in that situation. Yeah, but man, I'm. Uh, you know, I really, I keep coming back to it, I really am bummed that this is, like, the second-to-last saucer set.
1: We talked about this, I think, even in the very last episode we reviewed, where they,
0: yeah, yeah, the Enterprise is about
1: to go into a dangerous situation, yeah. They don't know whether or not... There's like an unknown... Riker suggests, you know, yeah. should we separate? Should we preemptively separate and not put all the lives of all the families on board at
0: risk? Yeah. And they, of course they don't.
1: The cart's like, nah. Nah, why bother? Whatever. But like, they should consider that almost in, in yeah. so
0: many situations. And they, don't. I would imagine that a saucer separation should happen... Routinely? At le- yeah. At least once a season, if not more. Maybe do you think, like, again,
1: since uh, they're out in deep space and they probably don't report back to Starfleet all that often... Do you think they just lie about that in every like dangerous <laughs> situation? They're like, "Oh yeah, we separate. We totally oh, yeah, separated.
0: Totally separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did not take the saucer section and all of the families on board that would be into so danger. Reckless. We would not do that. Yeah. Who oh, do you think I am? I'm yeah, Picard. I'm Picard. I'm Picard. I'm Picard. You know, I have a deeper commitment to the safety of my crew. It's probably huh. just implied in everybody's life. I think everybody knows. Just you know just, what it is. Yeah. You know why? No, well, I don't. Picard know. just really likes the main bridge. It's. Way more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> His yeah. chair on the battle bridge is not comfortable at all. There's probably like a bolt that sticks through the padding in the seat. It's oh, so and
1: drab it's down there too. Yeah. It's, like it's all gray. Nice,
0: you know. Not like the main bridge. The battle bridge is dreary. It doesn't even have cool
1: like blinking lights for
0: emergencies yeah. in the same no, no. way. It's got just the generic that's red what, alert. That's what's happening. You're Picard, so right. Picard just like fuck it. If I'm gonna die, I'm dying in comfort. I'm dying in style. I want <laughs> yeah. my wood finish and yeah. everything. Damn right. <laughs> fuck everybody else on the. Yeah, screw them. Yep. My main bridge is the bomb, and that's where I'm staying. Do we never even see. I think it is
1: implied at least once that he has a reading room on the battle bridge, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it doesn't have his fish in it. Yeah, yeah,
0: his fish aren't down there. You know, he probably doesn't oh, God. Even have any books there. Well, if he did have a fish down on the reading room, in the battle bridge, it would be dead because he's yeah. down there so
1: seldom. Like,.
0: You know, I kind of feel like in the twenty fourth century, they probably have aquariums that are capable of caring for fish autonomously. Maybe, but I, I much prefer the idea that the <laughs> ship
1: works much like the Sequest Sequest ship, where you know that Dolphin Darwin yeah, had yeah. the run of the ship through tunnels. Yeah, so like the, the Picard's, fish, Picard's can swim. fish can
0: swim around. It can
1: swim from one one ready room to the other. Maybe oh. also to his uh, his quarters. That would be hilarious. It'd be great. <laughs> you don't know that that's not true.
0: Yeah, Picard had like his his own gerbil run installed through the ship except for his fish fish That's, that's, that's nice
1: I'm telling you, it must. Be, I mean, they, that's pretty much how the turbo lifts work. They've got like mm-hmm. tubes through the whole ship. So why can't yeah, they yeah. do that for fish? Yeah, exactly. That's oh. uh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, me too. <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't know. Like other other moments on the battle bridge, we get. I mean, obviously, best of both worlds has a few. There's some good stuff that happens. Yeah, like. yeah. And best of both worlds is the last time we'll get a saucer separation. A little over two full seasons away, because best of both worlds is the end of season three. And oh yeah, and the saucer separation doesn't even come until the part two. Uh, I believe part two. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's definitely, it's like two full seasons and like, you know. And that's it. That's the only
1: time within the next six seasons that there is a saucer Separation, which yeah. is crazy to think yeah. about. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a, a totally underused resource in the show, uh, although not quite as underused as the Captain's Yacht.
1: Oh, you want to talk about the Captain's Yacht? as oh, yes. okay. well. I mean, Oh, it's like, the greatest I mean, bummer in
0: the show. Yeah, we all, I'm going to put this out there because right. I want to know if everyone's experience of this is the same. I found out of it the Captain's Yacht when I bought the model kit of the Enterprise and discovered that there was this extra piece called the captain's yacht that I had to glue into place on the bottom of the saucer section. How did you discover the captain's yacht? Totally different than that. I discovered it by reading the technical manual, of course. Oh, I see. Because I've always been curious whether everyone found out through the model kit or whether I never had a model kit. Yeah, you know, everybody I've I've ever talked to
1: about it learned about it from the technical manual. Mm -hmm. But then again, who knows? There may be other ways. I don't know. I don't know. I'd be curious to know what other people think about this. Yeah, I would have loved to see the captain's yacht in action at least once. Yeah, what's it like on there?
0: You get to see it in Star Trek Insurrection. Ah, it doesn't count. It doesn't count at all. Yeah, it doesn't count when. It's on the fucking Enterprise E.
1: Yeah, and yeah. And besides, it's the movie. Like everything's lit for like a cinema. They they do yeah. all sorts of weird shit with the yeah.
0: Like I don't the like, design of the, the ship and it's weird in the uh, in the next gen movies how they just went for total mood lighting on the Enterprise. I hate it. I hate it's it so much. Awful. Like we're we're used to the Enterprise looking a specific way on on the show. You know, it's all brightly lit. And I understand they lit it for TV and it's done mm-hmm. in a specific way because it's
1: easy to do and it's cheaper. That's yeah. great, but but. You yeah, have to carry that through into the movies
0: if you're gonna... You can do that but movie quality. You don't have to go for, like, a totally dark ship. Yeah, I I really didn't dig it. It's like, like at some point, Captain Picard just enacted, you know, a ship-wide rule that uh, all dimmer switches had to be set to, like, Sixty-five percent. I think what it was
1: was after the seven-year mission was over. He had a little downtime before the movie started. He went to his style, his hairstylist for the first time in you know eight years, mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, JLP, look in the mirror. You're looking a little older. since see some like bag- crow's feet under those those bags. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should dim the uh, lights in the ship so no one will notice. You know?
0: Excellent idea. Make like, it so. Make it so. <laughs>
1: Reduce lighting on the ship by ninety five percent. Boom. Um man.
0: yeah, I don't know. I hated that. I, the movie yeah, because I mean, it the look of the movies is the, terrible. Like the movies for the original series, the lighting on the bridge and everything, and throughout the ship, it's full it, lighting. Yeah, it's it's nice and bright. Yes, and guess what?
1: You know the other thing you can do when you have when you start with full lighting and normal scenes, when there's an emergency or tension happens, you can dim the fucking lighting. That tension. Yeah. But oh, if you start something's with, happening, if you start with everything in in shadow, as it were, there's nowhere to go. Oh. Mm-hmm. TNG movies are so upsetting. Like, uh,
0: they really are. There are four TNG movies. Only one of them is... Watchable. Decent, and even so even the you know what quote unquote good tng movie is still pretty bad
1: the, yeah i don't know if this is a controversial opinion or not but that movie's not very good no. it only people only like it or say it's good even because they're comparing it to the other ones
0: yeah and i mean i think a lot of people think they like the movie but don't I haven't realize. watched it in yeah, a while <laughs> exactly they don't realize exactly how bad it is and for all of you wondering what which one we're talking about Wonder No More, we're talking about First Contact. First Contact, for me personally, I think it's a terrible movie. It's still better than the other ones. It is. It is head and shoulders better than the other three next gen movies. It's still a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah. They ruined the Borg. Yeah, yeah. We, it was the first appearance of the ugliest fuck Enterprise E. Yeah. It totally messes up Captain Picard's character. Like, it turns him into, like, this, basically this violent psychopath. And they, uh, yeah, they, he, I, what was with that? Like,
1: Patrick Stewart just insisted on chewing
0: scenery. I, yeah, I don't know I, what I the don't deal know. was. I, I don't get it,
1: but, uh, yeah. Also, they introduced those, the, the, shitty new um like basically the communicator pin that became the symbol of the Federation.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. And then
1: also those crappy black with gray shoulder pads uniforms that then, because they did that, yeah. DS9 had to adopt them. Yeah, which exactly. Which and, and Voyager.
0: And, oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah, But fuck Voyager. Yeah. Hated it! Hated it! And uh, we'll, we'll get to the movies eventually. Like, what we'll probably do is just and, uh, watch all four of them and just do one review show of all four. I think we
1: talked about this already. Yeah. The
0: idea was to do
1: an hour. Mm-hmm. We were going to do them all in an hour. Yeah. Um. So basically, 15 minutes on each. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, we're basically we're almost at the end of season one, which is hard. I can't believe we're almost almost made it. What else do you want to say about this particular episode? This is this is I honestly this is one of the best ones of season one. Yeah, yeah. This is it actually is. a pretty good episode. Of we Star-Trek. should uh, we should rank it. All right. Let's rank this episode. I'm gonna give this episode. I want it to go above the halfway mark. I think I'm going to. I'm going to give this a lieutenant commander.
0: I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm, I'm feeling lieutenant commander on this. I can't go as high as commander. No. No. But it's better than a lieutenant. I... I
1: think we're both grading it high
0: just because of the relative competition. Yeah, that's the thing. Oh, and here's something I've been thinking about that we should do, uh, as I've been listening to our previous podcasts. At the end of the season, we should give the season a rank. Oh, okay. We should rank the season. (laughs) And then that season rank will inform the ranks within. All right. So people will know that when we give a a, a lieutenant commander or a commander to an episode in season one... Yeah. that if season one's overall rank is lieutenant, then... I would not give season one a lieutenant. <laughs> yeah, no, no, neither would I. But you get what I mean, I right? do. I can tell you right now, and I'm going to give season seven. <laughs> Yeah? Lower Decks. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> Fuck that episode. Uh, oh. And, no, just kidding. Anyway, yeah, that's a great idea.
0: We'll do that. Uh, yeah. i got to think more about season one, though. I'm not ready to rank the whole thing yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's not something I'd want to do until our, our, mm-hmm. our season finale episode. Absolutely. Why don't we talk about weaponry in general? Yeah, let's do that. I mean, since that is very much the focus of this episode,
1: mm-hmm. the, I mean in a nutshell what happens is there's the society who invent a weapon that's so powerful and it destroys, it them, destroys all. them all.
0: Ah, he's got a board with a nail in it! And saved humanity, will ya? Run, Kodos! Well, <laughs> Kang, okay, it seems the earthing won, did they? That board with the nail in it may have defeated us, but the humans won't stop there. They'll make bigger boards and bigger nails. Soon they will make a board with a nail so big it will destroy them all!
1: Well, I mean, that is the classic trope, right? I mean, the Simpsons nailed it. And the question here is, how many other societies in the Star Trek universe have done the
0: same thing? It seems like it'd be a very easy thing to happen. Mm -hmm. You come up with something so powerful that it wipes you out. Right. Like biological weapons or just weapons of mass destruction, whatever. Right, I mean, you know, like if human society has kind of been obsessed with this for at least half a
1: century, this Mm -hmm. idea since we've had, you know, since the rise of the atomic bomb and everything that's come ever since, you know, we've had the capability of if not annihilating ourselves doing serious harm to mm-hmm. you know yeah. the entirety of the human race you would think that most most civilizations in the star trek universe that are spacefaring would have had to have gone through that stage before they reached the age of space exploration. What percentage of them do you think actually reached that point or had the misfortune
0: of actually annihilating themselves? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. how were the Klingons not in that list? Oh, Klingons never bothered. They're they're just fighting each other with knives most of the time. Right? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's just more badass. They were too busy practicing their batlet moves. No, but I mean, that's actually smart, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if your society is very warlike and aggressive and has a tendency towards extreme violence, maybe weapons you take it... as destruction aren't you, a great idea. You want, you want weapons of... Minimal destruction. Yeah. You want to be fighting with those. If you're going to fight a lot, fight with knives yeah, yeah. or whatever. Like, don't create you know giant nuclear bombs. I mm-hmm. suppose, and don't use them. But I mean, that's the thing. I mean, they must. I don't, this is never. I don't think this is ever discussed on the show. There must be like a fairly well known list of in the
0: known spacefaring universe of societies that destroy themselves. I think we've even come across some already. Like I'm pretty sure that the Takan Empire. But they collapsed. We don't know necessarily
1: that they destroyed themselves. Mm. They might have just ceased to be through age. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, grown into something else over time. Because they, they were millennia old. Yeah. I wonder how a common occurrence it is for, like, a you know entire species to kind of destroy themselves in a short period of time. Maybe the Takana
0: part did do that. We don't really know. I don't know. What do you think of, like, since we're talking about weapons, let's talk about a yep. little bit about, uh, like, phasers and <sighs> hand phasers. <laughs> and how stupid they are? Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, they're like laser guns, but slower. Like, the beam travels not as fast as the speed of light. How is the beam slow? I actually... First of all,
1: yeah, physically, how is that possible? And second of all, why is that desirable? Yeah, yeah. That actually, I guess, ties into what I wanted to talk about in general. Like, I guess there's a very roundabout way of saying maybe the Kleons have the right idea, that you want weapons that are not too deadly. Mm-hmm. You don't want things that are actually too effective at killing and destroying people because they're just too dangerous. Yes, you want to be able to defend yourself, but like, if everybody is using weapons that are so lethal, like the stakes become too high too quickly. Yeah. So maybe that is why the phasers in particular like they seem ridiculous but like maybe that's why that's all they can do I mean it seems yeah. stupid in situations where like oh my gosh I need to survive this but any other at any other time of engagement well maybe you should be using a weapon that is less dangerous So it the same idea like you know like policemen in Britain for forever Great Britain for a long long time never carried guns or don't carry guns I think mm-hmm. you can still yeah they don't carry guns yeah I mean it doesn't mean that they're not violent and it doesn't mean that they do necessarily do bad things but the principle is that the situation can't escalate beyond a certain point because they don't have it's harder for it to escalate because they don't have a truly lethal weapon in their hands in yeah. the same way. It's much easier, it's harder to take a life with a club than it is with a, with a gun. Exactly. So, a phaser, in the sense that, well, it fires slow, and for some reason, you know, I always like the silly thing about phasers you should be able to hold the button down, have a beam going, and then like slice people up with it. Yeah, yeah. But they never do that. They kind of point yeah. it at the target, click it once, it fires a, a, essentially a bullet of love light, and then it, yeah. it usually misses. Like, maybe, the, I mean, it seems silly, but maybe the phasers are designed to only operate in that way because they would be too effective otherwise.
0: Yeah, I think it was more just a. Uh, it's okay. It's probably actually
1: a limitation of the FX department. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: but uh, but did Rod, if, if, if but Roddenberry, to, Did
1: Roddenberry? and the creators of the show? Did they give that any thought? I like, don't know. I mean, I mean, they didn't. They don't. I mean, it's when you're. I if you're in the drawing if you're in the, the planning stages here for a science fiction show and you're coming with anything why couldn't they have death beams when you just yeah. click a button and somebody over there just dies I think you know like that's they could have conceived of that a lot
0: of uh, a lot of people just take certain things for granted in terms of like movie weaponry and especially sci-fi movie weaponry yeah that don't make any sense you know like the way the phasers work you know it's a beam that right. uh, you know you should be able to whip it around but for some reason they never do they never do yeah. um, or like say in the black hole where they've got those double barreled lasers and when you shoot it, instead of two parallel laser beams going to your target, yeah. those two beams always meet up at exactly where your are like at exactly where the point of impact. Huh. So there's no reason they should do that. Yeah, that's and weird. you know, depending on the distance, it always changes, you know, so like you shoot at a robot, you know, a hundred meters away and somehow those two beams yeah. still meet at the point where they impact the robot instead of hitting at two different you know two equally spaced points on the robot as they
1: should i mean it's true like actually it's funny like movie tropes uh, you know things to do with weaponry I was, I was talking to a friend of mine a while ago and i guess one of the most like i don't remember this conversation I know, actually, it actually wasn't you what i know i know okay i was <laughs> i shouldn't say friend <laughs> i was talking to myself in the mirror one day shut up <laughs> No one thing that is one thing that happens in movies all the time that is kind of funny is you know you have explosions right like mm-hmm. a lot most action movies totally ignore the concept of concussive force mm-hmm. with explosions. Yeah, like pe- people walk away from explosions that don't knock them face first. They don't knock them face first, and the thing is, even if you do get knocked over by the explosion, you're fine. Mm-hmm. In reality, that is not the case at all. Most of the damage from blasts, like concussive blasts and explosions, can
0: be internal. Like, yeah, just
1: because like your skin isn't fried doesn't mean that your internal yeah, organs it doesn't, doesn't just get that turned you into
0: mush. Fractured your bones. Your bones get broken, your, your organs get smashed. Yeah, that your organs have ruptured.
1: Right. So, like, in a lot of ways, a much deadlier science sci-fi weapon would be something that could shoot focused concussive blasts mm-hmm. at people's heads. Just turn their brains into soup. Like 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 the um, weirding modules in Dune. Actually, quite a bit like those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But even those, I think, they don't really Yeah. They don't in the movie at least they don't kind of go into the concept of what the concussive force would do. Mm-hmm. Um, but something like that would be extremely deadly and would be way the hell more effective
0: than a beam oh, or yeah, a phaser. Yeah. Well, I've always uh, considered a, a grossly uh, underused concept in science fiction in terms of weaponry yeah. to be gravity. Uh, because yeah. you got... Like, pretty much every science fiction universe under the sun has fake gravity, artificial gravity or whatnot. Well, we've got inertial dampening fields in Star Trek. You know, like, you can walk around the Enterprise without floating away. Like, they've, they've somehow made artificial gravity that works without centrifugal force. Right. So, the thing about that is, if you can change gravity, if you can alter gravity, gravity is ridiculously powerful. You know? <laughs> like, if you change the gravitational constant of even a small section of a planet, that planet's going to tear itself apart. Oh, so you're saying like, don't even bother with ground war at all. Just like, rip yeah, a yeah, planet apart yeah. From like, I mean, if you well, could... yeah, that, that's true, but that's a little inelegant for a lot of these uh, situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying that it's a huge. It would make a hugely effective weapon that you never see used oh, in yeah. in sci-fi. Well, I think maybe it's funny they don't use it
1: ever in sci-fi as a threatening thing, but. Like, like in terms of something that your heroes would be running around with, like mm-hmm. on Star Trek, I think the same thing. Like you can't give them weapons that are too powerful because hmm. then it's just no fun.
0: Oh, like a singularity grenade that creates a uh, yeah. a, a gravitational singularity for like yeah. a couple of seconds. You know, like a, this is a
1: problem in comic books too, yeah. right?
0: Like you know they have to keep like depowering Superman. Yeah, It's yeah. too ridiculous. Like, it's too easy. Yeah, well, I mean, things the, or, by the end of the, or he's too uh, lethal. Yeah, well, by the end of the Silver Age, Superman could basically juggle planets. Sure, yeah. And so they had the Crisis on Infinite Earths, and they, you know, rebooted the whole thing, and now you know totally. Superman was massively depowered, but still too powerful. Right. So we don't
1: need to go into all of that, but it's just that same idea when it comes to writing. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if if the Enterprise had that type of you know destructive power at their hand, you know, their possession, it just it makes it
0: too hard to write plausible stories. Well, yeah, and, and like really, they already have stuff. That they sh- like that. Yes. Tech- you know, like a if they can send something small at warp speed, like that, oh yeah, like in season two when we'll meet warp squeeze Kalar, yeah, and uh, she arrives in what is essentially a photon torpedo tube traveling at warp speed pretty badass even though it's ridiculous it, it is but a photon torpedo tube traveling at warp speed that thing could take out practically like a fucking city or a planet you know Probably, like yeah. just you know just aim it at a planet and you know crash something into any planet at like warp one yeah and the the devastation would be incalculable
1: yeah and um yeah i mean again this is sort of why they don't get into that just because mm-hmm. it's just too easy to
0: yeah just gonna disrupt like, the know.
1: entire yeah the fabric of society yeah you know, interstellar society you could do that sort of stuff all the time. Um, people would live in constant fear of their planets just getting destroyed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's I guess that's why in a lot of ways the weapons they have are goofy and kind of mm-hmm. limited. Um, I think at least from a, a writing standpoint that's yeah. the biggest reason. How do you feel about the color coding of phasers? It's like friggin' G.I. Joe. or Yeah, it's like, like
0: a red-orange phaser. Uh, yeah. They've beam. got
1: red-orange beams, the
0: Romulus have green... green. The Cardassians have yellow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do the Klingons, are they... They might have red. Yeah. I think at least sometimes. I think theirs is very similar to the Federation in that respect. Oh, no, but they've got those weird, like, they've got those weird, like, pistol-style ones. Yeah, yeah. Like, those are thinker green as well. Mm. I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's any, like, significance to the color coding. Like, people try to, you know, apply significance to the color coding of lightsabers when yeah, there no isn't way. any. You know, like, Luke's lightsaber was green in Return of the Jedi because it needed to show up against the... The background of the blue sky. The only thing I've ever taken away from, like, the, the Jedi lightsaber thing is just it's a stylistic choice. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, at most you can go red is evil and blue and green are good. It would just be a bad taste if a Jedi had a red, red lightsaber. Yeah, like. but uh, in terms of, like, the phasers, I don't know. Like, I always loved, well, I mean, I didn't love it, but I always thought it was fun in, you know, G.I. Joe that yeah. uh, they had, like, different colored lasers, you know, uh, and they made great fun of that in Homestar Runner, because remember their uh, cheap commandos yeah, uh, and the uh, the their enemy were the insidious forces of blue laser of course because they had the blue lasers yeah <laughs> which is great speaking of homestar runner it's coming back Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Brothers Chaps made an announcement uh, today that oh. uh, they will be uh, bringing back Homestar Runner in the not-too-distant future. Oh, are they, they're doing, like, a $10 million Kickstarter? I have no idea. It's just LeVar doing that. Yeah, it's just LeVar. Uh, well, that's cool. So, exciting times. Oh, indeed. But, yeah, I like different colors, just for variety, but... Uh, I like it, too. It's just weird. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. Like, I guess, you know... I guess it makes sense that each, plan- like, each civilization has reached <laughs> this similar technology in a different way. But is, is the idea supposed to be that they can only produce, like, their tech, their particular
1: phaser technology can only produce a beam of that color, or they've just all agreed that it's going to be, like, Romulans are like, we like the color green, our lasers be, are going to shoot or green. Or
0: it could just be that the Romulans have found this particular type of beam the most effective, and that, uh, But then, the like, what about, what, what about the great.
1: teenage girl Romulans out there that want, like, a pink one, or a different color? Like, you think there'd be, like, there's got to be personalization. there Always, people that want so gender normative,
0: man. What, what, why wouldn't a teenage boy Romulan want a pink vaser? It's
1: not about the color; it's about the the individuality of picking their own personal ah, colors. So, That's
0: why. Okay. okay. Teenage Romulan girls happen to be into that sort of thing. I had no idea. Well, maybe
1: it's about time you opened your eyes.
0: <laughs> clearly, I just haven't. Uh, I have not kept my ear to the ground. No. Of the uh, the trends amongst Romulan teenagers. Why not? Just, what What do you do with your time? <laughs> I, I don't know, spend most of it on Tumblr. Are
1: there any teenage Romulans on Tumblr? <laughs> yeah, Actually, probably, probably
0: are. are. Yeah, I bet you there are. There probably are.
1: Well, anyway, the need for individuality—I don't think would. Well, maybe Romulan society be different than it would be in Earth society, but like, uh, I uh, don't know. It's got to be out there. Could be. Could if be. not for Romulans, then for somebody. I mean, like, what about the what are the Ferengi? They they all have phasers. They yeah, have, yeah,
0: no, they got the blue. Uh, oh, they the whips. whips. Oh, there's the blue lasers. Yeah, the, there you go. Fer- Ferengi laser. have them. Ferengi
1: have them. Later, they have regular guns though. That's true. The Star Trek universe basically has phaser weapons. And and
0: then knives and yeah. swords. There's not much else going on. Yeah, we don't even get lightsabers, just as regular swords. No. Is there any other kind of cool weapon that anybody has, other than the Ferengi whip um, thing? No, like, they're they're all, like, phasers or disruptors. Uh, yeah. Fajo, the collector, has that super badass oh, disruptor. Oh, yeah, just a really painful one. The, the one that just tears you apart Ouch. as it incinerates slash disintegrates you. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Why does no one have any grenades? Yeah. Why are grenades so of fashion in the the twenty fourth century. I don't know. Um, like explosives in general don't seem to be in a lot of use. Except I seem to recall at least one episode of DS nine. There's still bombs used. Yeah.
1: Like, the Explosives are still used for sabotage reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess the photon torpedo technically counts as an explosive. I guess it's an explosive. Yeah. Yeah. You know what a photon torpedo is? is just, it just something? It's just not just full of photons. It doesn't even make sense. I don't know. I uh, I'm sure that a technical manual somewhere uh, explodes it it explains all. exactly what the torpedo you know? is. Maybe. Yeah. Why does it look the way it looks? You know, it turns into that sort of that red sort of starburst. Yeah, thing I, flying through space. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like uh, after the uh, photon torpedo tube is launched, like does it immediately? Is the idea explode? that is out it, into that?
1: Is that what's yeah. going on? Like, is that? Is I don't that, know. Or
0: maybe that's just the engine. I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'd love to know. Hmm. Maybe it's just so the the uh, photon torpedo is so superheated upon exiting the torpedo tube that it just it's blazing, like it's glowing. I think the tube must must detonate, and that thing must be inside the tube. But well, yeah, yeah, the sir. tube splits. Then, I was, was going to say, like, what what about Spock when he was you know jettisoned into space in a tube, and uh, it, uh, it soft landed on Genesis? Well, but uh, I guess maybe it wasn't being launched in a. Uh, it didn't have a detonator. It didn't yeah, have a charge exactly. inside it. It had Spock inside instead. Yeah, yeah. So it was like I don't know. Yeah. But even but in Wrath of Khan, when it launches, we see it leave with the big red streak. Ugh, hmm. Yeah, you're know. right. I don't know inconsistencies. Those guys. Those how they dare must, they they must think we're idiots yeah, really it's disgusting come on guys come on guys get we'll, it together we'll be writing you a sternly worded red letter that's right so I don't know I think we've uh, I, I think we've embarrassed ourselves enough for one episode don't you think I do know what you talking about <laughs> uh yeah I'm done. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So next episode is uh, symbiosis, I believe. Oh yeah. And you'll want to stay tuned for that one, kids, because there are two Wrath of Khan alums in that. Yeah. Uh, we get Yakim, who was uh, Khan's right hand man, mm-hmm. and we get uh, none other than Merritt Butrick, I think is his name, who played David Kirk. Kirk. Yeah, who played son Kirk's son of William Riker. William Riker. William Kirk. No. James T. Kirk. James T. Kirk. What am I saying? I don't know. Yeah, cut that out. Will <laughs> so yeah join us next time you won't want to miss that because this episode is basically the after school special of next gen episodes yeah if you want to see Wesley Crusher tripping balls <laughs> if you want to see Wesley Crusher ask Tasha Yar very earnestly why anyone would do drugs and get his oh, very yeah. ABC after school special moment with her then yeah this is the episode nice, for you nice alright thanks for joining us everybody we'll see you next time